The Timeless Podcast Company present this podcast. In immersive sound design. Want to welcome everybody to the Breaking Anonymity podcast. Uh, this podcast is about breaking a lot of the stigmas and a lot of the uh, social misinformation about recovery and recovery programs. This podcast is not about a specific recovery program, whether you are in narcotics, alcoholic, gambling, sex addiction. This uh, podcast is about helping you understand how a recovery program can benefit you and help you. Um, I am MC Search, and uh, my partner in rhyme and in crime here is uh, <laughs> Al Eustace. And, um, I don't know about any rhymes yet, but hey, we could work on that together. <laughs> no problem. Um, and uh, between she and I, we have a couple of decades in recovery, and uh, we love to bring on people uh, to share their story of recovery. And uh, we have a really, really special guest. Uh, Kyle Burrow, Queensbridge is in the building. Kyle, take it away. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes, um, this was absolutely unexpected and such a wonderful surprise to learn that we have havoc of the infamous Mob Deep who is a bona fide hip hop legend. And aside from producing most of Mob Deep's catalog, he's crafted music for artists such as the late Notorious B.I.G., Eminem, Nas, 50 Cent, and LL Cool J, just to name a few. Um, he also has an incredible story of recovery. And I'd just like to welcome you to this podcast, Havoc. Thank you, thank you, what's up, y'all? <laughs> what up? What up? <laughs> well, feel free. You can share your story, brother. The stage oh, is yours. Oh, okay. We'll pass the mic to you. Okay. Well, you know, my name is Havoc, you know, from, you know, Mob Deep, Queens, New York. Um, I'm, I'm what you could call a recovering alcoholic. You know what I mean? Um, pretty much was like a lifelong battle of mine. It started off innocent. You know what I mean? Growing up in the hood and, you know, what teenagers do, you're hanging out, yeah, you know, you're drinking beer, you might get some liquor, and, you know, it's, it's pretty normal, you know what I'm saying? Everybody drinks, you know what I'm saying? That's what, you know, it's a, a grown-up thing, right? But sometimes people know when the party stops, and some people don't know when the party stops, you know what I mean? And for me, the party just kept going. When the party was over, I found myself still... You know what I'm saying, uh, drinking or what, what have you. Um, and it didn't help much that, you know, my brother passed away early, early when my career took off. So, you know, to try to deal with that, you know, I definitely was self-medicating, you know what I'm saying, drinking a lot. And then, you know, when, when you're an alcoholic, you try to use everything for a crutch anyway, right? You know what I mean? So that kind of became my crutch over the years. Uh, being antisocial became my crutch, you know what I mean? Being in the industry, you know, not really knowing how to uh, socialize with industry heads. So, you know, taking a drink, to, what's the word they use to take the edge off, you know what I mean? So constantly taking the edge off, being in the industry, stuff like that. You know, it just got to the point where, you know, drinking was like a normal thing for me. Because I, I, you know, I didn't see it as something that was bad. Like, you know what I mean? Until 
I started like embarrassing myself in public, like, you know what I mean? Just going out to different places and, you know, drinking to the point where, you know, everybody is like chilling and sipping and I'm just gulping down cups, you know what I mean? So, you know, you get to a point where you're drunk, you're stumbling, you're doing things out of character, you know what I mean? And you do enough of that and you're like, okay, I don't want to do that no more. So now you in the house doing it. Like you think you're safe because you in the house doing it. You're not around a lot of people. And actually that's kind of worse, right? Because now the guardrails are off. There's nobody there to be like, yo, chill, slow down. So you think that you're doing it in the comfort of your own home. So that's me. I'm doing it in the comfort of my own home. You know, business is still coming across my desk. I'm not making it to certain places. Now I'm unreliable. So now that's just hindering your, your well-being. You know what I mean? And you're not taking care of what you have to do. But I, you know what I'm saying? I kind of, you know, I, I, I peg myself as a smart individual. So, I, you know, I could feel when I'm going down the wrong path or whatever. And, you know, I'm kind of stubborn. Like, I don't like nobody to tell me, like, yo, chill, slow down. And, you know, to me, it is kind of true that, you know, sometimes people have to hit rock bottom in order to stop. Like, a, a million people could tell you to chill out and, like, you know, stop drinking or whatever, whatever. But... It's really you. They got to come to some inflection point and just be like, nah, like, you know, let me, let me, if you really care about yourself and care about the things that you do, you're going to pump the brakes, you know what I'm saying? Eventually before, you know, you wrecking your liver, you wrecking your life. You just, it's just a whole bunch of things that you wrecking. So I had good people in my life, like my family and stuff like that. They, they did an intervention one time, you know, at my house. They came to my house early in the morning. I'm crazy drunk. And just to make a long story short, they put me in uh, rehab, you know what I'm saying, far away from here in Florida. And that was like one of the best things that happened to me. This is years ago. This is like over 10 years ago, maybe 15, 20 years ago, something like that. And that was like one of the best things that happened to me. And then when I went to that rehab, that was the first time I ever went to an NA meeting. You know what I mean? I was crazy, embarrassed to be there. I didn't know how to <laughs> deal with it because I'm already anti-social anyway. You know what I'm saying? So when I'm there and then you have to be like, hey, my name is Kimo Matita, I'm an alcoholic. I'm like, you know, and you see everybody else, you know, doing it. It, it, it just was crazy to me. But the more I was there, the more comfortable I got. And I started realizing that this was helping me. And, you know, I did the whole 30 days. And then I continued to go on and be, uh, you know, sober for about five years. You know what I'm saying? Before I had my first relapse. But I was better prepared for the next time that I would eventually stop, you know what I mean? Because I already had some of the tools that I needed. So when uh, we talk about these NA meetings or you know any other kind of uh, program that helps people with sobriety, I think they're important, you know what I mean? Because sometimes we feel like we could do, do it ourselves, but it's always nice to be able to talk to somebody that's going through the same thing that you're going through, you know? And my battle with alcohol is not over, you know what I mean? It's like, it's a day-to-day -day thing, day by day. And right now, I'm foremost sober, you know what I mean? So I feel good, you know, even though I can't say it's uh, 10 years or nothing like that, but, you know, four months, I'm proud of myself, you know what I mean? So that's pretty much like my story in a nutshell, unless if y'all got, you know, some questions for me, <laughs> you know what I mean? Amazing, amazing. <laughs> congratulations first of all congratulations on four months um i, I do want to ask you something and uh it's something that I, I heard in meetings um because 
unlike you, relapse isn't a part of my story. Um, but I always heard that when you know about recovery and you discover recovery, that uh, recovery ruins a relapse mm-hmm. because you know you shouldn't do it mm-hmm. and you know why you shouldn't be putting that chemical in your body. Right. But you do it anyway. Right. Have, have you identified that for yourself? Like, have you gotten to the point where you realize I've learned enough about recovery that, you know, this will be my last relapse or if I relapse again, I understand the whys behind the relapse? Yeah, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I, I, I understand. I can't speak for anybody else, but I, I would understand if I had a relapse. Why? That's why I think I could stay away from the relapse longer. You know what I mean? Um, but like I said, you know, I just take every day as a win. And and, and relapses, they they feel horrible. You know what I mean? Because it's like you threw away those sober days and you just got to start back over again. You know what I mean? But relapses don't feel good. They, they're they horrible. You know what I mean? Because it's like you let yourself down. You didn't have that willpower to just say, nah, I'm good, you know? And that's where sometimes sponsors come in, like people that you could call and be like, yo, man, I feel like taking a drink and, you know, or whatever it is, if, you know, if it's any other kind of addiction. Can I ask you what led you to this last relapse? Do you mind sharing it with us? Oh, um, you know what? What led me to this? Overconfidence. You know what I'm saying? Being being so confident that, yo, I got five years and I'm, 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 I'm good. That means that I could take a drink now and, and I'm all right. I just stopped for five years. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, but that's not the case because sometimes you find yourself trying to catch up or trying to make up for lost times. And then now you're just worse than ever. It's like, you know, but um, the, the last time that I did relapse, it, it was just overconfidence. Like, oh, what? I stopped for five years. I can take a couple of drinks and I'm good. But, you know, that's not mm-hmm. the case. That's not the case for me, you know. That's where it gets you. And, and that's why I think we're seeing so many um, opioid deaths is because people get sober from that and then or clean, I should say. And then they go back out and thinking they can start over like where they left off. And the next thing you know, they're overdosing, you know, and it's um, it's a tragedy. It really is. Um, you mentioned at the beginning that your brother's passing was kind of like a catalyst Um you know, what did you learn through that? Um, did you learn that um, drinking numbed your pain? Is that kind of why you decided to turn to it? Um, and did that change over the years? Did all of a sudden well, drinking kind of go like, ugh? Yeah, a, a little bit of both. Uh, drinking, it, it, I thought it was going to, uh, you know, kind of numb the pain, but it actually made the pain worse. Like, you know what I'm saying? It exacerbated the problem. Like, if I was feeling down, Alcohol just made me feel even more down. Like the world was on my shoulders. And uh, yeah, it, 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 didn't, it didn't numb it. It actually made me feel it more, like, it, or, or, or maybe worse than I was even feeling. Interesting. Yeah, I could see how that could happen too. You know, I'll share this with you and Search already knows this, but, you know, I lost my mom suddenly two years ago, just completely out of the blue. And I was in recovery, I still obviously at the time. Um, and I kept going to meetings and I was sharing about it and I was crying about it. And I was really just 
telling my truth, you know, what just happened. And several women came up to me afterwards and they're like, we cannot believe you didn't relapse through this. Like, we can't believe it. And it was right then where I was like, whoa, like this is really something to Mm -hmm. be proud of, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, it gave me new strength in a sense um, to move forward. But I I definitely understand, you know, I don't think that if I would have started drinking that it would have (laughs) helped, you know, I think it would have made everything worse. Absolutely. Yeah. So do you think um, there's something you're going to do differently this time around? You know, uh, definitely I have to do something different this time around so I don't head towards, you know, get the same result in in the relapse. Um, Not uh, bearing that that, uh, confidence, you know what I mean? That that overconfidence, like, yeah, I I got this, like, you know, uh, five years from now, like, you know, F it, let me just take a drink. Like, nah, you know what I mean? Um, And this time around, in my head, I really got in my head that drinking is corny. You know what I'm saying? It's like mad corny. It it does. It, I mean, literally to me, it does. I mean, feel it kind corny. of is. To be honest, it's it's weird because now that I'm you know sober, you notice that it's literally everybody's crutch. It's like you'll go out and they're like, "Oh, do you want to go get a drink?" You're like, mm, "No." And like, "Oh, hey, we have a business meeting. Let's go get some cocktails." Mm, right. No. Right, right, um, right. Yeah, you do start to notice. That's funny. So just yeah. keep that in the in your mind, okay? It's corny havoc. Yeah, you don't yeah. want to be corny, right? Okay? You <laughs> I drink Bob deep, all right? Like, uh-uh, <laughs> no corny allowed. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? None whatsoever, man. It's too corny. I wanted to I wanted to go back to something too because you talked about your intervention that you had. I think you said it was like twenty years ago. Yeah. Um. Did you think that was corny? Did you think your family stepping to you and saying you got a problem? And even though you went to rehab and you did the 30 days and all of that, was there a part of you that even still, even though you recognize you had a problem, uh-huh. there was still that little party back your head is like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do this, whatever. But, you know, this shit is corny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was real resentful. Like, yo, y'all all coming to my house and, you know what I mean? You're trying to get, like, I'm good. Don't worry about it. I'm all right. You know what I'm saying? Let me drink some water today, all day today. I'm fine. Like, the problem will, will go away. But I did think of it as corny at the time. But, you know, I wasn't in my right state of mind. And, yeah, go ahead, Kyle. I was going to say, too, like, you know, now that we're getting older and stuff, I feel like it's more important than ever to take care of our health. And, um, you know, seeing my mom pass away, like really sparked something in me. It's like, all right, I hired a health coach. I hired a personal trainer. I hired a grief counselor, you know, um, taking eating and exercising really seriously. Um, Did you find as you got older as well that that's something that's kind of been top of mind? Oh, yeah, man. Of course, you know, I I try to stay health conscious as much as I can, you know, and I just think about being here for a long time. Like, I want to be here for a while, you know, as long as God permits, you know, and I don't want to shorten that by anything that I'm putting inside of my body, you know, if I can help it. That's one thing that we can control what we put inside our body. So, yeah, like you know, I'm conscious of that. Well, when you think about it, too, like alcohol is literally poisoning your blood. You're literally putting poison into your bloodstream. And it's interesting, you know, uh, I hope my dad doesn't mind this. But since my mom passed away, he quit drinking as well because it just it made him depressed. It made him sad. It it, it didn't help anything, like you said. Don't don't. Um, You know, you were talking about the um, 
obviously the tragedy of your your brother dying. I think we'd be remiss not to talk about Prodigy and right. and his death mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, were you sober or are you in recovery at the time when when P died? Um, I, I was like back and forth with it. You know, I was I was pretty much back and forth with it. Uh, you know, still battling it. You know, uh, things. I you know I wasn't at his funeral drunk. I was I was sober. I had to drive there. But um, yeah, you know, d- during that time, I knew that I I did have to mostly stay sober to to handle something of, of that magnitude. You know, and even today, you know, when I think about it, it's it's still a driving force just thinking about it. Yeah, you guys were in Vegas at the time at a show. Yeah, 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 yeah we was. And he was rushed to the hospital right yeah. after, and and unfortunately <clears throat> he died at the hospital. Yeah. Um, was the pain so intense that you felt like relapsing right after you hurt? Um, it, I couldn't believe it. You know, I I just couldn't believe it. And, and yeah, the pain was was super immense. You know, but for some reason it didn't really drive me to uh, drink because I, I I knew that I needed to be sober for for this period right here, you know, because it's, it was going to be a lot of things going on that I had to be strong for the people around me, you know, and the people that, you know, that I care about. So I couldn't really indulge like that. And, you know, I wasn't fully sober, but, you know, I was uh, functioning. That was a tough story to write. I remember I was tasked with writing that story um, when he passed away. And um, the outpouring of love, first of all, was really special to see. But at the same time, it's like, I feel like this was something that could have been prevented. Um, Mm -hmm. As I understand, it was really hot that day um, in Las Vegas when you're performing. Yeah, it was like 120. Mm -hmm. Like, really, when we got off the plane and outside, it felt like a joke. Like I, mm-hmm. I never felt that before. Like I was, I, we literally was laughing. Wow. Yeah. That's what I remember the most was like, it was really hot. So yeah, I don't know. Um, when he finally did pass away, I mean, what was your initial reaction then? Were you just shocked? Yeah, I was in shock. I, I couldn't believe it. I, you know, I thought it was a rumor until I heard back from our uh, road manager who was there with him at the time who didn't even have, have an idea that Prodigy had passed away and he was there with Prodigy, not in the hospital room or the hospital, but he was back in this hotel going back and forth, checking on Prodigy. And at that point he hadn't checked on Prodigy when I had called him and heard the rumor. So I told him, I said, Hey, what's up with P? Is he, you know, is he good? He was like, Oh yeah, I spoke to him last night. He's getting better. He's in good spirits. He was laughing. He went to the bathroom on his own. He, he should be out of there in a day or so. All right, cool. You know what? Just go check on him real fast. You know what I mean? Just to put my mind at ease because I heard something stupid and dumb. He, you know, he hung up. He called whatever he did. He was taking too long to call me back. So I called him back like, you know, 10 minutes like, yo, what's up? And he was crying like, you know, grown man just crying like crazy. I, I was like, I thought he was joking, like crying, like, you know, making a joke because, you know, I just was whippy. You know what I mean? I just was with him and I didn't hear nothing crazy the next two days when I, you know, I went home, he stayed, you know, we was, I was monitoring how he was doing. And uh, so, you know, that obviously had to be a rumor a lot. 
With his medical condition, what was his relationship with um, alcohol? Was he like, did he stay away from it? Did he encourage you to stay away from it? What was that relationship like? Yeah, well, you know, um, Prodigy, he wasn't a big drinker, you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, throughout the years that I know, I, you know, I was the one that was like a fish, you know, and I was taking it down. But, um, you know, Pete wasn't a big drinker, you know, based on his, you know, his health condition. I didn't see him indulge in a lot of alcohol. I don't even think that he, he really could in, in, in a way that was uh, healthy for him to even consume in, in, in that manner. So, nah, he wasn't really a drinker, a big drinker like that at all. What about what about weed, though? How do you guys feel about weed and, and how how does weed play into your recovery? Um. I, I don't smoke weed, you know what I mean? I, I used to, I used to smoke weed uh, you know, back when I was a teenager or whatever, but I stopped that mm-hmm. like back when I was a teenager. So, you know, weed never wasn't even really nothing to me. Um, you know, prodigy smoke weed. I mean, you know, when I look at it, everybody smoked weed besides me. <laughs> you know, that's how I feel. I mean, literally everybody smokes weed, you know. But weed, you know, I, I look at it as I guess it's, it's you know, it's natural or whatever it is, depending on which way. You smoking it in a pipe or bong, you know what I'm saying? But when you start adding that tobacco leaf with it, you know, you might as well be smoking cigarettes. You know what I'm saying? Which I quit too, by the way. Um happy. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that was like a miracle. If I could quit cigarettes, everybody could quit cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean it literally. But yeah, so we, you know, you know, I, I never try to judge anybody that smokes weed, but you know, they try to say it's a it's a gateway drug. Um, I don't think so. I think I think alcohol is the number one gateway because you you're not really thinking. And, you know, that's why they call it, you know, wines and spirits. It's a spirit. Another spirit just jump in you and just be like, hey, try this and try that. Next thing you know, you know what I mean? You done did something that you probably wouldn't have did if you were sober. That is so funny you said that because I literally just realized you're absolutely right. Like alcohol <laughs> led me pot and then right. pot was like, oh, let's do acid. Oh, right. acid, let's do mushrooms. Oh, after that, let's try coke. Fuck it. Right. Like, it just went on and on yes. and on. I yes. totally agree with you. <laughs> yes, yes. That, I'll tell you that alcohol, man, that's just like it's, it it's opens nasty. the door. You know, well, it's plus it's box. Well, and then, of course, it's so socially acceptable, like we were talking about earlier. Right, it's like, right. you, and it's legal, so you can you get can it anywhere. It. You can get it right down yep. the block. What's stopping you? You know what I mean? So. Yeah, any street corner. You know what's funny is now I live in Colorado, and I quit smoking weed in 2010, <laughs> and I can literally go get it on any corner, and, like, now I don't smoke. It's kind of funny to me. Right, oh, my right, God. Right, yeah, right. the things I went through to get a bag of weed. <laughs> and now, and <laughs> Back now in the day. Yeah, now you yeah. Can just walk right through it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, nope. <laughs> no, nah, you know what? And and that to me has always been the thing is that you know I think the thing that always challenges me in my recovery is that I think there's this misnomer that oh, if it's legal, it you can't be addicted to it, right? right? You know, right. Um, you know, for me, you know even though my drug of choice was weed, I was an addict. It wasn't because of the weed. It was because of the feelings that I was not addressing that were behind the weed. Mm-hmm. 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 And the thinking was, that goes with it, the thinking that goes around it. Right. So it was really mm-hmm. about like me not dealing with uh, a lot of my you know, personal issues. And, you know, at this point in my life, 
you know, and I've shared this now on a couple of podcast episodes. Like, I'm afraid, legitimately scared of ever smoking weed. Right. Um, because I know it is something that if I ever relapse, I'm done. Like, I'm done. And it's not so much my, my, my sponsor loves to say this to me. It's not so much that my drug of choice will kill me, but it's my actions that will. Mm-hmm. It won't be that I can, no one has ever died from smoking weed, right? <laughs> but I'll get into an altercation that might kill me, or I might mm-hmm. get behind mm-hmm. the wheel of a car and that might mm-hmm. kill me, or I might mm-hmm. lose my balance on a, on a, on a balcony mm-hmm. 75 mm-hmm. stories up and that might kill me. Like, right. you know, it is the behavior around that. Have you gotten to a place, have where you started to, take a deeper look at what you're trying to mask and the emotions that you're trying to kind of drink away in order to like, you know, kind of get more months of recovery and years of recovery. Yeah, definitely. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, I'm, I'm awkward dealing with people, you know what I'm saying? In, in, In general. So, but it's, it's just something that I have to, uh, master, you know what I mean? We have to deal with people, you know, you can't just, uh, try to self-medicate to deal with people. You know what I mean? It's, it, it is what it is. Some people are better than others at it. And you know what I mean? And that's just what it's going to be. But at the same time, I can't poison myself over it. You know what I mean? Just because I, I you know, I'm, I, I peg myself as not a people person. You know what I mean? I, I am a people person. You know what I'm saying? It's just that, you know, you I got to throw away the, the fears of, you know what I'm saying, of having to deal with people sometimes one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Or, well, uh, if it makes you feel any better, you're very personable to me and I'm really enjoying this conversation. So I think you're good there. I think you're good there. But I did actually uh, note that down earlier. You did mention that one of your uh, crutches was being antisocial. Yeah. So when you're antisocial and when you're alone, you can kind of retreat to your drug of choice and just kind of hide out from the world. Right. And, you know, I've definitely been guilty of that as well. So I, I can relate to that for sure. How did you get yourself out of that? Um, Out of being antisocial? Just being, yeah, like, because you're an artist. So you got to get out there and you got to get right. on stage and you got to perform and, and meet people. And how did yeah, you get yeah. through that? Um. Man, just because it's just something that I have to do as part of my job description, you know what I mean? It's part, you know, I have to uh, be around people. I have to see people. I have to speak to people. So, you know, I just kind of like, you know, let my mind stop playing tricks on me. It's like, yo, you, you're going to go. You're going to chill. You're going to talk. And you're going to be done with it. And then you're going to go home. You know, and, that, and that's it. Like, you know, it's just my mind just racing and, and, and bringing up scenarios that don't even happen yet, you know. So it's also that that whole acronym fear, you know, fake emotions appearing real. Right. And a I lot of that times, one. you know, those false emotions. I mean, I know I personally for me, I can share, you know, with us, you know, my my false emotion appearing real is this sense of entitlement. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I I get into a place when I'm using where I feel like if I am not the one person that everybody's paying attention to, if I am not the one person that everybody's giving their 100%, you know, blank to, then fuck everybody. Like, mm-hmm. fuck all of y'all, because all mm-hmm. of y'all, you're not, you ain't mm-hmm. worth shit to me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and it took a long time 
for me to identify that narcissistic behavior, that that whole idea that, you know, oh, you know, I'm I'm, you know, I'm great. What do you think about me being great? You know, like, you know, is this fucking right. craziness? Right. Um, and and also, you know, going back to something I read today, you know, um, we're doing this podcast and today's meditation that I read about was this idea of oops, the idea mm-hmm. that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting mm-hmm. a different result, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they talk about in recovery that there's certain things that if you do them over and over again in recovery, you can expect a, the same result, right? You can, you know, if you go to 90 meetings in 90 days, if you get a sponsor, if you read the literature, if you stay on top of these things, these are the things that are repeated behavior that you can benefit from, right? That mm-hmm. But if you do the opposite, right? If you feel like after five years, oh, I can have a little some, some, like mm-hmm. I'm good, right? Mm-hmm. That's that insanity. That's that mm-hmm. whole false emotion appearing mm-hmm. real. That there's mm-hmm. that self confidence mm-hmm. that starts to rear its ugly head. And for me, I started thinking about even before I use. If I start to get into a bad behavior, like a narcissism or a disregard, I've gotten to a place now. Where I go, wait a minute. Let me check myself real quick because mm-hmm. wait, what, where do I have to read about that defective character? Where do I have to? What amend do I have to make? Like what? What step do I have to focus on right now so I can deal with this insanity? Because mm-hmm. if I don't deal with it, I'm going to fall victim. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of things that the gods used to say around me, like that I've now incorporated into my own shit, like falling victim, self-awareness, you know, being on my dean. Like I take a mm-hmm. lot of that with me into my NA program, into my program, because it is so helpful. What are some of the things that even you took from like Queensbridge or took from the PJs or took from anything that you take now and that might have been a negative or something that was a street something, whatever, and you've taken it into your recovery to make it a positive? Uh, man, it's, 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 it's hard to say, but, um, you know, if there's anything that I learned from, uh, you know, growing up in the hood is to be strong, you know what I'm saying, throughout it all, no matter what, you know what I mean, kind of to a fault. You know, we never show weakness, you know what I mean? And um, being an alcoholic is, is a form of weakness, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's an addiction, but, you know, having that pride of not wanting to be weak is just and letting, you know, something possess you, you know? Um, it just, it, it, it leads me to want to conquer that vice. And I feel like also that's something inherently um, pounded into men's heads. It's like, you're not supposed to cry. You're not supposed to show emotion. And I think that's one of the most important things as a human being that we can do. You know, so I just want you to know Havoc and Surge, it's okay. You can cry on my shoulder. (laughs) I got your back. Yeah, you know, but um, it's okay. You know, and like women get pegged as the emotional one, but hey, maybe we're on to something. Right. I want to ask you to end with this. If there's Mm -hmm. one person listening to this right now that's like, man, wow, Hav is, wow, like, Man, I, but I don't know. I don't know if there's one thing that could help an addict right now listening that could push him into getting help or push her into getting help. What would you say to that person right now? What, why should they try to get into a program? Um, the reason why I would say for them to try to get into a pro- program, because just imagine how they feel about themselves, right? Uh, underneath it all, people should feel like yo, they want to be great. 
So just imagine how much greater you would be without the extra medication. You understand what I'm saying? Because that's just a hindrance. You know what I mean? So if you thought that you was good now, you'll be even greater without the the uh additives you know what i'm saying like whatever that may be um because those stall you so there's no better time to start than now don't put it off time waits for nobody uh life will pass you by if you don't get your act together and uh you want to remember shit so we're we're definitely not gonna forget you we're not gonna forget uh mob deep we're not gonna forget your records that you made on Fourth and Broadway. Yeah, I didn't think I'd let you forget I, that. Yeah, yeah, I almost forgot it, but you reminded no. me. <laughs> <laughs> Won't let you forget about that going limited photo shoot we did. Yeah, on the forty yeah. side. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, bar, bar. Uh, and I'm and uh, again, big shout out to Kareem Stewart who put this all together. Who no I doubt. understand is your life coach and and. No doubt. Uh, He's been giving you. So some. you have one too. Absolutely, man. You, know, you gotta <laughs> yeah, have one of those. Yeah, yeah, one of those. yeah. Actually, he yeah. said something. Corinne <laughs> said something to me about. He said, "Yo, I could feel my." He said, "Have will tell you." He said, "Like I could feel the chemical changing. I could feel. Right. I feel like my 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 cells changing. Right. I feel all of that. Right. So I'm oh really God. I'm really happy for you having and uh, you know, man." From one Q Bureau kid to another Q Bureau kid. I love you, bro. And I'm so, so, man, so, so happy that you are on this road to recovery. Thank you. Um, If you are looking for uh, recovery, if you're looking for someone or something to help you, uh, please listen. At the end of the show, we'll be giving you numbers to dial dot uh, coms to check into and to tap into to help you for the breaking anonymity podcast my name is mc search and i'm kyle eustace and we will see you next week check out new episodes of breaking anonymity every wednesday wherever you listen to your favorite podcast and if you like what you hear please tell your friends and subscribe the breaking anonymity podcast is a timeless podcast company production Executive produced by Chantel Barron, Brett Epic-Mazer, Kyle Eustace, and Michael Barron. Produced by Kyle Eustace and Michael Barron. Sound design by Brett Epic-Mazer and Nick Davila. Breaking Anonymity logo created by Paul Lukes. Sound effect voiceover by Tembisa Mashaka. If you are battling with addiction or know someone who is, please call the National Addiction Helpline. 1-800-662-4357. That's 1-800-662-4357. You do not have to battle addiction alone.